right, well, someone stopped by my office yesterday and I said, I'm, I'm wrestling with Habakkuk. I said, is he here? <laughs> you know, sometimes these minor prophet books are a little tougher to study, but I think we're today, and so I'm excited. Just as a reminder, we do um, Bible study, Foundations of Faith, we're working through it the topic of the Bible, and so that's at 7 at the same time as youth group is next door. So if you have youth group, that, or if you have youth in the youth group, bring them, come over here, and we'll have a great time studying God's Word together. Also, I haven't mentioned for a while, but we do still meet every Sunday morning at 9.45. There's a group of us who meet to pray before the service, and you're welcome to join us there for that if you'd like. Uh, we, have, we had a very sweet time of prayer this morning, I thought, anyway, so... Uh, anyway, with that, I want to get to our message uh, this morning, which is the righteous live by faith. And we're going to start out with uh, a complaint, the second complaint of Habakkuk. Last week, we looked at the first part of Habakkuk, where he stated a complaint to God. And his complaint was that all around him, he saw people doing evil. People were doing things offensive to God. And he was not simply looking outside his own community. He was actually looking at the sin inside his own community that was being done by his own people. And he was frustrated that God was seeming to allow people to just continue on and on in sin, violence, iniquity, destruction, and all of that. And so uh, Habakkuk had cried out to God previously and was at the point of writing, at the point where he finally wrote chapter 1, he was clearly getting frustrated. And we see that in one, uh, Habakkuk 1, verse 2. Uh, o Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And will you not hear or cry to you violence? And will you not save? As we looked at that last week, we realized how much we could sympathize with Habakkuk's complaint. We see this all around us, don't we? And while we do see much of the violence and sin going on across the world because we have access to video and all of that from things going on, we also see it right here in our own state, in our own communities. We can easily understand the frustration of the prophet as he called out to God for justice with this question, how long? And this is a unique prophetic writing since it records not simply thus says the Lord, this actually records a conversation between a man a prophet, and his God. He is stating a complaint. It's a complaint in the form of a question, right? But it's a complaint all the same. Sometimes rhetorically, people make statements that are in the form of a question. And so if you're ever on Jeopardy, and the question is, the prophet Habakkuk had this complaint about sin, around him you can answer in the form of a question, how long shall I cry for help? And as we saw last week, God gave an answer, didn't he? The answer was that God was not going to allow his people to continue in sin unpunished, right? Great. Except he was going to do something that would astound them. He would raise up the Chaldeans. You can also think Babylonians there. Um, and they would come as God's instrument of punishment to punish the people for their sin. And so today now we're going to look at the second complaint of Habakkuk. The second complaint, I don't like the answer to my first complaint. And now we're going to see that the compare game is going to begin, okay? We do this all the time. I know I'm a sinner, but 
Those other people are way worse, you know. You probably don't do that. I do it sometimes. And Habakkuk is about to say in response, how can you allow a more evil people than us to be used as your instrument of judgment? So let's look at it together. I'll read, and you can follow along. Starting at verse 12 of Habakkuk chapter 1. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You, who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So in this second complaint, Habakkuk starts out by noting the eternality of God, that is the everlastingness of God. He's been around forever. Now this is an important concept. It was important to the Jews. It's important to us as well as believers. Where are we if we were not to understand God as eternal. If he had to begin existing at some point, we would not be able to say he's unchanging, would we? We would not be able to understand him as the first cause, that is, the one who caused everything else to come into being. And if we lose that concept and throw it out, then we're, we're really calling him God, but he would not be God overall. He would not be omnipotent, having power over all things, because if he himself were created or had to come into being, then there would be something that he had no power over, which was his own existence. Does that make sense? Not only that, if God was not eternal, he would not be omniscient. That means all-knowing. And this is because his knowledge then would be limited to his own existence. And if he is not eternal, then he would not know things prior to his own existence. And so he wouldn't be as trustworthy, at least not in the same way because there would not be the same eternal history of his trustworthiness. Now, that's a very brief summary of just some of the issues we would run into if we were to decide that we didn't want to believe God was eternal. But God is eternal. And so Habakkuk can take God's character to the bank. He can trust in God's sovereignty. He can trust in God's covenant. That God himself said, I swear by myself, because there is nothing higher than himself to swear by. And that eternal God had made the covenant with Israel, and so they would never be wiped out entirely. And so Habakkuk writes, are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproofs. So here Habakkuk is struggling with some truths that he knows. God is eternal. He is trustworthy. 
his covenant promises to Israel, and now God has said he will use the Chaldeans as a means of his discipline or punishment towards Israel. So Habakkuk is trying to square these truths. He understands God has ordained them as judgment and established them for reproof. But let's just put it straight. It's bugging him a bit, right? Sometimes we see things in Scripture even. It bugs us a little bit. We don't, we're like, that doesn't make sense. Or sometimes we see that in our world. Like, why has God let so-and-so get by with that? And then someone who's doing better has trouble. And then he continues on in 13. He says, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? So here's Habakkuk's problem. He's rightly noted there is sin over Israel. He hates it. He wants Israel cleansed. But the thought of Israel being cleansed from its sin by the means of the evil Chaldeans is too much for Habakkuk. It just seems wrong. We probably would feel the same way. If God were dealing with us regarding some sin in our lives, if we would hate to see someone even more evil than us being God's instrument of wrath or judgment on us. And we will see how God answers before we leave this morning. But for now, let's commiserate a little bit with Habakkuk. All right, let's, let's marinate in this difficulty. Let's soak in it in this dilemma for a bit, okay? God's eyes are pure and cannot look upon evil. And this is a biblical concept we see very clearly. God is holy. We cannot look upon evil, but that doesn't mean he's unaware of it. And Habakkuk is saying that we very well may have said the same thing if we were in his place, but to put it another way, he's asking Why is it that God would ignore so much of the heinous sins of the Chaldeans and allow them to be used as a punisher for Israel? They're the real traitors after all, Habakkuk says. Now, all sin is treason against God. And it would be fair to ask, is Habakkuk not seeing the sin of Israel of being offensive to God, but clearly that's not what he's saying because we know from the very beginning of the chapter he is not unaware of or insensitive to the sins of Israel. Quite to the contrary, he's the one that cried out to God, deal with your people. But he doesn't see Israel as traitors in the same way as he sees the Babylonians or the Chaldeans. They are truly much worse. And that's what he's expressing here. He's elaborating it on in the next verses. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He, when he says he now in this next portion, he's talking about the king of Babylon. He brings them all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. If he then, is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? So he is a pronoun again that that, uh, Habakkuk is using to speak of the Chaldeans and probably signifies their leader, but the people as a whole as well. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. So the Babylonians were conquerors, imperialists, whatever word you want to use there. They would go into an area, they would defeat some people soundly, and then assimilate them into the Babylonian culture. 
And so that destruction and humility of those who are defeated would be complete. They would often enslave people and take them away from their home region and bring them far away. And what that did was that would reduce the opportunities that people would have to rise and fight back. You see, you're far less likely to fight for freedom in a land that you're not from. And so if you make someone a slave close to home, they might have ideas about escaping and returning home, right? But if you bring them so far away that it's practically impossible for them to return, they're probably more likely to just give up and go into submission. Okay? It's like that, by the way, with sin as well. And that's why it's so important to stay grounded in God's word and grounded in the fellowship of the church and grounded at home with your family. Because when you are close to home, you're far more sli- less likely to... F- you're, when you're at home, you're more likely to flee the slavery of sin and return to your family. But the further you remove yourself from the fellowship of the church and from the word of God, you are to not only fall temporarily into temptations of sin, but to give up fighting sin altogether. And knowing this, our enemy may not be the Chaldeans, but our enemy is everywhere in the world, and we are constantly tempted to distance ourselves from the word and from the family of God. So beware of this, because the strategy is sound. When you remove someone from their area of protection, they're more likely to give up on their values and give in to submitting to a captor. And so Habakkuk uses some vivid language here to describe the Chaldeans and how they normally uh, conquered other nations. They were like fishermen who drag with the hook and with the net. So fishermen and hunters, they like to what? Celebrate their success. We might even say brag a little, right? Um, they'll hold up that whopper of a fish and you'll see it on Facebook, you know, look what I caught today, or they'll pose with the, whatever they harvested in their hunt. They rejoice and they're glad they had a successful day. And the Chaldeans treat people like they're prey or like they're something to be harvested. They drag them out of their homes and they rejoice over it. They have a low view of humanity and a low view of the sanctity of life. And so what do they do? They would sacrifice to their net. Now this can nearly be taken literally because the Chaldeans actually made sacrifices to their weapons of war. So just as someone would sacrifice to an idol, they would actually make sacrifice to their weapons. And why is that? Because through those weapons they got rich. They live in luxury. Why? Because they steal and sell people. They use force to make people like cattle. They're brutal people, these Chaldeans. They're ruthless. They have no care for human suffering. Instead, they rejoice in it so long as they're going to get rich. And that's why Habakkuk is so frustrated now. These people are really horrible people. Why, oh God, would you use them to punish your chosen race? Why? That's humiliating. It's shameful. How can God remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? How can you allow this? So are you marinating in this with me? Are you sympathizing with Habakkuk? Do you get what he's saying? Is this reality in our world today? Absolutely. If you were to go to Voice of the Martyrs website, for example, you would find story after story today of how the church is persecuted around the world. There are more martyrs in the church today than at any time in history. 
And while we may not be at the point yet in the United States where people are being killed for their Christian faith, we're certainly seeing evidence of mistreatment of believers by wicked people, aren't we? Even here. There's a word some people are throwing around called cancel culture, right? We'll not let you have a good job if you stand for biblical truth. We will harass you on social media. We'll go after you however we can. And we look at things like this and we can say with Habakkuk, how long is Chaldea going to be allowed to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Now Habakkuk has stated his second complaint. And now he says he'll rest and await the answer. In verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me that, and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So he's standing by. Sometimes our complaining needs to come to an end. And I think God is very gracious to us. He allows us to spill out our hearts to him. However, there is a point when we've set our peace to God that we need to sit back and say, I will now release to you all of what's on my heart. I will trust in you to be sovereign over this situation. I stand ready to hear your answer. I'm setting myself up on the watchtower, looking to see what that answer will be. And now we're going to look at God's answer to Habakkuk in verses 2 to 5. God answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so, that, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. It seems slow. Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he is never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own people as his own all peoples. So God tells Habakkuk, write down this vision. Make it plain on tablets so he, who, uh, who, so he may run who reads it. Now, a lot of speculation has gone into what that exactly means. When Habakkuk writes the vision, is it simply to write it down and put it in a scroll to be set aside until the year 2021 when these nice people look at it to see what it means? No. <laughs> This is not what Habakkuk is to do. He's to make it plain on tablets. Now, there's a lot of significance on tablets. The law of God was written on tablets. Tablets are permanent, more or less. They're a long-lasting record of something. And you can go to some of the older graveyards in our country, and you can see stones that were carved long ago, and they still bear the record of someone's life. Also, we see this phrase, so he may run who reads it. Now, translators and scholars have been struggling with that phrase for centuries, and it seems that it may indicate that Habakkuk was supposed to post this somewhere in a high-traffic area so that those who would pass by would take the message with them, like a billboard, okay? Notice, this message was not to be kept to only the prophet and a few of those he knew, It was to be made available to the public at large. And this vision was waiting for its appointed time. It will come true. It may seem like it's never going to happen, but God says, trust it. It's from me, God says, and so it will come true. And certainly this response answers one of Habakkuk's initial statements. Because God is from everlasting, 
his view of what will take place is accurate. It is trustworthy. It is sure. And when it comes, it won't delay. It may seem delayed to you and me, but from one with an eternal perspective, from one who is self-existence and beyond our timeline, it will surely come. Verse 4, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Now here's something we commonly see in Hebrew literature, and you see it especially in Hebrew poetry. You see it in a lot of the Proverbs, and it's kind of a comparison or a contrast, okay? It says one thing, and then it says the opposite. You see that in a lot of the Proverbs. So his, the Chaldean's soul, is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous, that is the contrasting characteristic to the one who's puffed up, the righteous shall live by his faith. And so it was that a young monk struggling with the Catholic Church who was disgusted by the selling of indulgences and was conscientiously studying scriptures, trying to grasp what Paul meant by salvation through faith, came to study this verse, and a light bulb went off that would light up many others and spark a reformation. Martin Luther came to this verse in his study, and the Holy Spirit enlightened him, and history changed because of this verse. The righteous shall live by his faith. I'm going to read a quote, and you'll have it on the screen there from the Preacher's Commentary series, which I found good. It was, says, So central to the whole of Jewish thought was Habakkuk 2.4b, that the Talmud records this famous remark made, made by Rabbi Simlei. Moses gave Israel 613 commandments. David reduced them to 11, Psalm 15. Micah to 3, Micah 6, 8. Isaiah to 2, Isaiah 56, 1. But Habakkuk to 1. The righteous shall live by his faith. Jewish scholars felt that these words, only three words in the, human te- in the Hebrew text, fairly summarized the message of the whole Bible. There we have it. The key to salvation, the key to living a life that pleases God, the key to being at peace with whatever's happening in the world, by faith. By faith in Jesus Christ, we find peace with God. By faith, we can live in honesty and in keeping with God's word, having his protection, that whether cancel culture gets us because we stand for righteousness, if our community rejects us, if our job fires us, if we lose friends because we desire to lose a righteous life, no matter what, we trust that God will deliver us in the end. So we can live in peace, even when the world seems to be falling apart. And Jesus said it was belief in him that saves, John three thirty six. whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Paul wrote, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For the righteousness of God is for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Again, in Galatians 3.11, Paul wrote, it is evident That no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. The writer of the Hebrews as well, in Hebrews 10.38, But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. 
I saw a couple weeks ago a short video, and it was a guy with a YouTube channel. A lot of guys with YouTube channels these days. This was a rabbi, and it seemed to me, at least from the videos I saw, a lot of them are trying to refute Christianity. In this particular video were, were um, three reasons, why, or three problems, he said, that Jews should have with Christianity. His top three problems with the Christian faith that he said all Jews should have uh, was that the concept, he said, Paul elaborated of justification of faith was foreign to Jewish thought. That's what he said. But I have to say, and now this can be dangerous territory because someone may very well say to me, sit down and shut up, don't tell us what the Jewish faith, you're not a Jew. Someone might say that. Okay, that's fine. You don't need to be a Jew to see that the Torah, the law, and the prophets speak clearly on justification by faith alone. Genesis 15, 6, we learn about Abraham. He believed the Lord. He counted it to him as righteousness. Romans 4, 1 through 8, Paul comments on that. He says, What shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works... He has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts as righteousness. Apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. That's pretty good news. And so the apostles understood this as well. We see this explained again and again in the New Testament. Galatians 3.6 is quoted as Abraham believed God and it was counted him as righteousness. James 2.23, the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. Thank goodness we aren't judged on our deeds. Habakkuk saw the evil of God's people and he wanted them cleansed. He saw the evil in the Chaldeans and he wanted justice to come to them. But there was a difference between these two people. Not only were the Chaldeans more prolific as sinners than Israel, they did not live by faith. And God has chosen as his standard for all he will save and who he will not save, the condition of it all, faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I say it a lot, and I will declare it loudly until I have no more breath. The entire thing, the whole of salvation, is a work of God. Because as you can see clearly in Scripture, even the faith is a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. This faith required for righteousness, this faith we need to be justified, is a gift. And so if you have received this gift, worship God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And if you are not aware whether or not you have this gift, then look into God's word. Appeal to him. Ask him, show me this truth. Grant me the faith to believe. Or maybe your faith has been weakened. No worries. 
You can ask, just like the man who answered Jesus' question when he said, do you believe? When he asked him to heal his son, what was his answer? I believe, Lord. Help my unbelief. So if your faith is weak, you have a Savior who will answer that prayer as well. Because the faith is his gift. And then it wraps up our section for this morning at verse 5. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. So the wine and the wealth and the arrogance and the greed of the Chaldeans will come to an end. And a great line from the gladiator came to mind as I was studying this. Maximus looks at the arrogant emperor in the eye and he says, The time for honoring yourself will soon come to an end. And so it is the case that for all those who do not live by faith in God, but rather by faith in their selves, the time for honoring themselves will come to an end. And all they will be left with is the wrath of God. And the eternal conscious torment the never-ending death that comes as the wages of the sin that they lived in. And if you would live by faith, you must die to self. If you would live by faith, you trust that following God's way of living is always the best option. That living in truth and grace is superior to physical strength and power. There's a lot of definitions of faith in our world today, right? Which one do we want to choose? I think we should choose the biblical definition of faith. What do you think? Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Do you have assurance of things you hope for? Do you have a conviction in your heart to believe what you cannot see? The righteous shall live by his faith. May we do this and live our lives to God's glory. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for this. We call him a minor prophet, Lord, but you think of him as minor. Since you used his words again and again through scripture, the righteous shall live by his faith. I don't consider Habakkuk a minor prophet, but a major prophet. Lord, this is challenging because we see some of the same things Habakkuk saw. We see a world that seems out of control. And sometimes, forgive us, Lord, we question why you're not dealing with it. But Lord, may we live by faith as well, trusting that your word will come true, that you will deal with evil, and that in the end, everything will come to pass as you said it would. Help us to have that faith, Lord. Help us to have the faith that brings salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.